That, that's sharing your story. Uh, many of you responded as we close, and I just want to check up on you. As the Lord uh, gave you an opportunity, many of you said, yep, I'll speak up and tell somebody. So I want to I hear, did any of you get an opportunity and, and by God's grace, you spoke up for the king. Anybody say, yep, I got that opportunity, and I, and I was, there's a hand. Go ahead. You don't have to, this is to Jesus' glory, right? Rosie, you spoke up. Nice job. Anybody else? I, I was able to, Linda, nice job. Ron, good, good. So I just want to say, the challenge continues, okay? Because that's why he has us here as his church, uh, and he empowers us so that we can speak up, um, this morning, I want to talk about some key events in history, um, key events that uh, change the course of eternity, and these are key, key kind of mile-marking events as recorded in God's Word. So just think with me, if you were to list out what are some of the key uh, life-altering, history-changing eternity-shaping events in the Bible, where would you go? And uh, I'll begin in the beginning. Makes sense, right? Uh, the Lord spoke ex nihilo, and literally what that means is he spoke something into what we have here today. Out of nothing, he created the heavens and the earth, the planets and the fish, mammals, finally Adam and Eve, Genesis 1 and 2. That would be my first major event. Uh, second historical event that certainly impacts all of eternity would be the fall of Adam and Eve to sin. Wouldn't you agree? It's still affecting us here today. Uh, they listened to their old selfish natures, their pride. They obviously fell to the temptation of Satan in Genesis chapter 3. And the result is today, what are the results today? Um, sin and pain and cancer and death and war and evil and suffering that's what flows from the fall of Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3 uh, third major major I would probably go to Genesis 15 when uh, Jehovah God uh, creator sustainer of the cosmos makes a covenant with a man named Abe. Uh, he was called Abram, and later he became Abraham. And here's what he said. He said, Abraham, I will be your God, and you will be my people. To Abraham and his descendants, an everlasting, unconditional, eternal covenant. Uh, that's pretty cool stuff. Uh, my fourth major major that I jump to is Exodus chapter 6. Uh, Jehovah God uses Moses to deliver his people from who? Anybody remember? Uh, Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And that's found in Exodus chapter 6 beginning. And he uses uh, Moses as his instrument. And remember how many plagues were there? Ten. And they, they got stronger and uh, more blunt and a little harsher. And finally Pharaoh agrees what? Uh, get out of here. Let, you can... Let your people go. And, and off they go through the Red Sea, and they're wandering for 40 years. Uh, fifth event I would list as one of those major historical eternal markers uh, in, in all of history would be in Exodus 19 and 20. Moses then went up to the top of the mountain, 
And he came back down. What did he have in his hands? The Ten Commandments for his people to live by. Uh, sixth major event, 2 Samuel 7, uh, Jehovah God again makes another covenant with this time a man named David. King David, we know him as. And Jehovah God in 2 Samuel 7 promises, hey, Dave, I just want you to know that out of you and your ancestors will come the king of kings, the one who will sit on your throne and rule forever and ever. And we see that tracked out later on in God's word in the New Testament. Uh, seventh major major on my list, I jump to Dr. Luke's record of the gospel, Luke chapter 2. There was this virgin named, what was her name? Mary. She was engaged to this guy named Joe, and then suddenly she's told, oh, by the way, we've chosen you, and you will be the one who will give birth to God with skin on. Uh, you're going to be the mother of the king of kings. Uh, eighth on my list, I, I could list a lot of things, but I, I think I'd need to jump to the key event in all of history. And, and what would be the key event in all of history? Where does everything point to in the Old Testament? And it is what? What's the answer? And everything on New Testament, past, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, everything points back to what is it? It's the cross. It's, it's Jesus taking our place on the cross. Jesus taking the hit for our sin problem, uh, and that's huge. And then he, he goes into the grave, and does he stay there? No, early on Sunday morning, he literally, bodily, physically defeats sin, Satan, and death by rising from the dead, okay? The reason I went through all of that, because I want you to see that the passage we're going to look at today would be, at least on my list, number nine, okay? So this is huge. It's not as big as number eight. No, nothing is. But this is like one of those key major events central to history, central to us. So I just want you to see how, how pivotal Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 13 really are. And while you're turning there in your Bible, uh, number 10 for free, um, I'd skip to the book of Revelation and I'd, I'd just look at how the lamb becomes the lion, how the lion of the tribe of Judah comes down, takes charge of planet Earth, um, and, and just literally returns in power and glory. That would be number 10. Uh, Acts chapter 2, in your Bibles, the church age begins here today. The promised power we talked about last week, it gets delivered. Uh, stand with me if you are able, please. We're going to read verses 1 through 13. Um, We'll put it up here on the wall for you to read out loud together. I'll give you a little heads up. Okay, you ready? Verses 9 and 10 are pretty tough reading. So um, if you get stuck, just go quiet for a little while. I'll keep reading, okay? I've had the advantage of uh, practicing these words a little bit. But, but read at least till you get to verse 9, okay? And, and then you can pick up in verse 11. Here we go. This is God's word out loud together. When the day of Pentecost came... They were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. 
All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthenians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. And thank you, Lord, for this major event that you've recorded for us to study together today. And Lord, uh, we don't pretend that this uh, passage isn't controversial. We don't pretend that what we're about to talk about doesn't have lots of different strong opinions on it. So uh, I'm asking that you might guide and lead us and help these uh, goofy lips of mine to speak truth with lots of love. Um, Lord, we're uh, grateful for the appearance, for the descending of your spirit on the 120 in that upper room. Lord, please show us what this event means for us in your church at Walloon Lake. And Lord, I'm asking that the very same Holy Spirit, the very same Spirit that descended on this early church, Lord, might that same Spirit be welcomed today in this place. We welcome you. Would you join with me? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power 
When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Uh, Who are they and where was the place? Well, if you back up, if you have your Bible with you, uh, you'll see that 113 is an upper room. Later on, it talks about a house. So it was an upper room in a house, in a building in the city of Jerusalem, verse 15 makes that clear. Um, There's 120 people, verse 15 says, who are waiting. Why? Well, if you go back to verses 4 and 5, we see why they're waiting. Jesus said, don't leave the city until the promised power, the promised gift arrives. Okay, so don't leave. I've got this wonderful present I'm going to be delivering, and it's the Holy Spirit, but don't leave until the present has arrived on the scene. So look at verse 13. We just want to see who's in the upper room here. Uh, We know that Peter and the other apostles, the other disciples are there. Mary, the mother of Jesus, isn't that interesting? Uh, She's there in the upper room. His brothers are there, and there's some other women who make up the 120. And they're obediently, patiently waiting for the arrival of the Holy Spirit. Now, uh, back up to verse 1, chapter 2. The word Pentecost, when the day of Pentecost came, uh, the word Pentecost literally in the Greek means 50th. Five zeroth, okay? 50th. And the reason for that is they were supposed to have a feast, an annual feast of the Jews. It occurred every year, 50 days after they celebrated Passover. 50 days after they remembered that the Lord had spared them and passed over them if they had the blood smeared on the doorway. Remember? And the firstborn of the Jews who obediently smeared the blood of a blemishless lamb, they were spared. That was the celebration of the Passover. Now now go back here, verse 1. Pentecost, 50 days after they celebrated Passover, they had this feast. It was a little bit like our Thanksgiving, okay? Uh, Every year, they celebrated the fact that the Lord has once again blessed us. It was called the Feast of the First Fruits, Deuteronomy 16, 16. And they were basically saying, Lord, once again, you've come through and you've blessed us with bounty. And now they would gather together in Jerusalem for this Feast of the First Fruits. Make sense? Okay. Uh, how does the cross fit into this? We know that they had to get Jesus down off the cross because they were about to celebrate the Passover. They needed to get him off the cross because starting at sundown, uh, they would begin celebrating Passover. That would be uh, Good Friday. This would be the next day. Saturday would be Passover. So understand, this is 50 days later. 
now they are celebrating this feast. And we know, if, if you go back, uh, verse 3 of chapter 1 and verse 9 of chapter 1, this is 10 days after Jesus has ascended to the right hand of the Father. Okay? And, and it's a Sunday now, 50 days, and now the next day would be a Sunday, and now they are celebrating, and uh, the Lord is about to do something more than just giving them grain. Track with me. It isn't just by chance they are celebrating the feast of the first fruits. The Lord, slide down to verse 41 of chapter 2, is about to give them first fruits in a different way, okay? Uh, they're going to see 3,000 people come to faith in Christ that very same day, okay? And now this is going to be the first fruits of those who would come to faith in Christ and be a part of the church age, okay? So, so there's definitely the, there's this tie, and, and they would have understood that. First fruits, thank you, Lord, for the harvest. Verse 42, first fruits, Lord, thank you for the harvest of souls. Verse 2, Acts chapter 2. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. There are three supernatural signs that show up in the upper room with 120. Three miraculous, supernatural uh, evidences that God is in this, and, and he wants them to get it. And the first sign of the arrival of the Holy Spirit is the sound, look at it, verse 2, of a mighty, powerful, overwhelming, rushing wind. There are few things in life as powerful as a tornado. And have you ever been through a tornado? Um, yeah. Denise and I in seminary, wow. Uh, we're in the bathroom, and, and several people died when, it, when we were hiding out in the bathroom. Uh, Kevin and I were out golfing and uh, nearly got our, our golf cart lifted off the fairway. Uh, and again, there's lots of damage. Again, it's, it's a symbol of power. Now, the Hebrew word for wind is ruah, and the Greek word for wind is pneuma. Uh, both are used in reference to the Holy Spirit. And one of the Greek words to describe the Holy Spirit is dunamis. Dunamis. And you're thinking, yeah, so what? Well, that's the same word that we get our English word dynamite from. Okay? So, so dynamite has arrived on the scene. This is explosive power. The gift that suddenly now descending on the early church was filled, listen here, with God's power. God's power. Second supernatural sign of the arrival of the Holy Spirit, verse 3, it, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Separated and came to rest on each of the 120. Now, why tongues of fire? Why tongue? Okay, think about it. Uh, a tongue is the symbol of what? Speech. Uh, with your mouth, you communicate. And 
the Lord is now saying, church, you are now empowered. Go back to verse 8 of chapter 1. You are now empowered to use your tongue to witness and tell other people your story about how Jesus Christ has worked in your life. Why did they get the Holy Spirit? Go back to verse 8. He's already said, I'm going to empower you with the Holy Spirit so that you can speak up for me. So uh, the first thing we see is, is he's just letting them know, oh yeah, you're getting the power, and it's power for your mouth, for your tongue. Why fire? Fire in God's word is almost always used in reference to the presence of God, to God's presence. When, when God shows up in a burning bush before Moses, that's a sign something's up here, and Moses realizes he's having an encounter with God. Take your shoes off, Moses. Get, get your sandals off. You're in the presence of God. Genesis 15, 17, Exodus 3, Exodus 13, Exodus 24. Now catch this. God's presence is now resting on each and every individual in the upper room. Did, did you notice that they came and they rested on each of them. Nobody's excluded here. Isn't this good? Um, the men get it. The apostles, God's presence. The women get God's power and God's presence. Nobody's excluded. Uh, Almighty God is at work and present with his church. That, that's what the fire, and he's empowering you to speak. And the third supernatural sign that signaled the arrival of the Holy Spirit is the sign that's most thoroughly explained. And yet this is the sign that has been the most controversial down through church history. And by the way, this is still the most controversial section of the book of Acts, okay? So um, let's just know that going in. This is controversial, and uh, the third supernatural sign is the ability to speak in languages. The Greek word is glossolalia, okay? And it always means languages. The ability to speak in languages. Verse 4, here we go. All of them, all 120, were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other glossolalia as the Spirit enabled them. Verse 5, now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Verse 6, when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one of them heard their own, what is it? What did they hear? Their own what? Being spoken. Verse 7, utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't these the Galilean hillbillies speaking? And that's exactly how I'm allowed to say that. I've got relatives from French Lick and Winchester, Tennessee, so I'm one of them. I can talk about my, my people. Uh, utterly amazed, aren't these the nobodies, the uncultured ones? Verse 8, then how is it that each of us is hearing them speak in our language? <laughs> This is amazing. Okay, now remember, everybody from all around the scattered world who believed in Jehovah God, 
um, they would gather back to Jerusalem for this feast. Josephus, the Jewish historian, said typically this was the most attended feast in all of Jerusalem. It, it was the time when the weather was the best. They would be able to travel the easiest so people could get back to Jerusalem for this feast. Josephus said that the population in Jerusalem would swell to over a million people during this feast. Normal population, he said, was around 150,000 people. Over a million people now, just think about it, uh, eight times, seven times bigger than normal are now at this feast in Jerusalem for this, this feast to, to celebrate uh, what God is doing and giving them the first fruits. Okay? Now, let's go back. The third supernatural sign that God was miraculously working in the 120 was the fact that Galileans, verse 8, people who were never thought of as being intellectual, they were the uncultured nobodies, they had never studied or learned other languages. Matter of fact, they were made fun of because they didn't speak good Hebrew. They didn't, they didn't talk clear Hebrew. And, and I've read some of the... They, they just they spoke, again, like some folks get made fun of who uh, are my relatives in the South. Um, so understand, they weren't thought highly of, and now these Jews from Galilee are speaking to people from Italy, speaking fluent Italian. They're talking fluent Egyptian. They're talking to people from Iran, Iraq, Turkey, Lebanon, Crete, in their own specific dialect, in their language, and they're nailing it. Okay? That's what's happening here. And the glossolalia, tongues, or glossa, tongue, refers to languages. Okay? They were speaking in languages that were known and spoken and recognizable. Why are you making this a big deal, Pastor Jeff? Because some think that this is angelic language going on here, and there was gibberish, and they were just really excited about Jesus. Um, no, no, no. They were speaking, and they were being clearly understood. The sign here... They were speaking a language they had never studied. They were never trained. Um, and now, supernaturally, God was enabling them to speak in a language they never studied. Verses 10 and 11, look at it. It's going to emphasize the point, And it lists those 16 different regions. Remember all those funny words there? That's all the regions, the dialects, the languages that the 120 were able to speak. And they never studied. And they never were trained. And God enabled them to speak perfectly in a language that they had never been trained to speak. Now, fairly often, uh, someone will ask me if I believe in speaking in tongues. Pastor Jeff, do you believe in speaking in tongues? Um, and here's my answer, okay? Uh, do I believe that in 2013... Could the Lord empower someone to share about Jesus Christ and the cross with someone whose language they'd never studied, and yet this person needs to hear about Jesus? Are you asking me um, if one of us was in a foreign country 
And the Lord knew this person needed to have an encounter with Jesus Christ and know about the cross. Do I believe that God could enable someone to speak in a language they never studied? And my answer is absolutely yes. Yes, I believe that that does still happen and can happen. And the Lord is, <clears throat> is all about getting the gospel message to sinners who need Jesus Christ. Well, what about tongues as practice in the United States, some of you might ask, okay? Um, because uh, in, in, in Western churches, um, that's really not what's going on. Most people would say, no, no, um, well, what about angelic speech? What about people who are just really emotional and really excited by their expressions of worship, okay? Here's my response, you ready? First of all, let's just agree that's not tongues as expressed here in Acts chapter 2, okay? So, so what you're talking about um, is not the ability to speak in a no language, Acts chapter 2. And here's what I would say in response to folks who are very excited, very emotional in church. I'm going to quote the Apostle Paul, okay? 1 Corinthians 14, 19. You can turn there if you like. But what does Paul say about unintelligible, really excited, really emotional speech that nobody gets? 1 Corinthians 14, 19. But in the church, I'd rather speak five intelligible words, words that everybody can understand to instruct others than 10,000 words in a language that nobody gets. Verse 20. Brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. <laughs> church at Corinth, you're behaving like a bunch of kids. You're getting together in church, and you're all overly emotional, excited, and nobody understands what's going on. Speak clearly in church. So, uh, I would say this, if you want or you need to get emotional with the Lord Jesus, we're all wired differently, right? Amen? Aren't you glad we're all different? If you need that, then you go home and shut the door and get alone with Jesus and let it rip, okay? Just you and Jesus, go at it, okay? Uh, and, and have your time. But Paul says very clearly here, here in church, we're called to speak clearly and intelligibly so people can understand what's going on. And that would be my response. Um, I'm not going to judge their emotion or their excitement, what's going on. That's great. It's good to be emotional with Jesus. But Paul says, go home and shut the door and let it rip. In church, speak intelligibly, speak clearly. And that's what we try to do here. Okay. Let's look at the response to the rushing wind, the tongues, and the fire, and the fluently speaking in languages to the crowds. Verse 12. Verse 12. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? <laughs> They're talking my language, and I know those guys. And those guys are not educated, and they are not cultured, and they, don't, they never studied Egyptian. I know. Uh, what does this mean? Some, however, verse 13, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. The crowd that had gathered in the upper room responded to the 120 in two different ways, okay? First way, some were, look at verse 12, 
curious, amazed, perplexed, asking questions. Many of them wanted to know more. <laughs> That's the way some of them responded. And verse 13, others responded with mocking and making fun and saying, I think those, those 120 have been hitting the communion wine, don't you think? Uh, they, they, they've, been, they've been tipping it back, and I, and I think they're drunk. They denied the evidence of God's work and explained away the ability to speak in a language they never studied with cynical accusations instead of dealing with the fact. So here's my warning to you. You ready? Balcony, get excited about Jesus. Start walking daily with Jesus. You can expect, you can plan on the fact that some people will mock and criticize you. Get excited and start living strong for Jesus and daily taking the time to get filled with the Holy Spirit. I promise you that some people won't like it and they won't be able to argue with the evidence, the reality of God's power flowing in and through you, but they will make fun of you. They will be cynical. They will try to misunderstand what you're all about. The Holy Spirit, give me your attention, is the most exciting, the greatest, the most powerful, the most expensive, the most useful gift you and I will ever receive. Okay? It, it just is. We're never going to receive a better gift than the Holy Spirit when we say yes to Jesus by faith. The very same Holy Spirit, look here in, in Acts chapter 2, the very same Spirit that descended on the 120 is the very same Spirit that takes up residence in all genuine followers of Jesus Christ in 2013. Think about it. We have the same gift. When you say yes, when you say I believe, I receive, I do, we are given the same Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, as, as the early church was. Okay? No one belongs to Christ without the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 9. No one is united to Christ without the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6, 17. No one is adopted as God's child without the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, 14 to 17. No one is a member of the body of Christ without the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. Listen, the power for us to live for Christ, to live this new thing called being a follower of Christ, the power source is the Holy Spirit. That's where it comes from, Galatians 3.3, Philippians 1.6. And beginning here at Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit indwells and empowers the church to speak up for him if we're born again by faith in Jesus Christ. So uh, if 120 followers of Jesus Christ, track with me for a minute, turned Jerusalem upside down, if 120 people were the ones that God used to take his gospel and go worldwide and establish the gospel and the church worldwide, listen, how come seven to 800 of us aren't doing the same here in northern Michigan? How's that for a hard question? 
Why aren't seven to 800 of us? There's 120 upside down came Jerusalem, changed the world in time as they spread. Why does the outside world look at us and look at the church mostly today and say, dull, lifeless, boring, irrelevant, timid, I don't want anything to do with it. How could the world look at us and think those things when the power of the resurrected Christ is living in you and me? We have the same spirit they had. We have the same power they had. We have the same gift they had. What's wrong? What's up? Can I give you three reasons? And that's how we're going to close. You might want to write these down. Three reasons. Number one, uh, some of us have never learned how to make use of the power, the gift, the presence of the Holy Spirit. Some of us have never been trained and instructed and discipled to learn how to make use of the third person of the Trinity. Um, it'd be a little bit like somebody uh, being given a Learjet, okay? Wouldn't it be, how many of you would like to be given a Learjet? Can I see your hands? Yeah. Uh, but, but you never take time to get trained and equipped, and it's going to take a lot of time, to, and, and uh, I don't, I don't, it's too hard. And, and the truth is, some of us have been to the cross. We've said, yes, the Spirit has come in us and indwelling us, but we've never learned how to fly it. And I, and I just need to tell you, until you learn how to fly and take advantage and make use of the powerful gift you've been given, not much is going to happen. You know, your plane's just sitting there on the runway. You know, we're so, I'm a Christian, and I'm going to heaven. I'm really glad you got a plane. I really am. When are you going to start flying it? <laughs> the second reason uh, why we have the same spirit, the same power, the same gift and we're not just turning northern Michigan upside down, is some of us know how to fly the plane. We know how to live in the spirit. We've been trained. Um, we're just too busy to fly it. You know, because I got important stuff, you know. I got my tweeting and my Facebooking, and I got my favorite TV shows, and I got my sports, and I got my hobby, and I'm, I'm Googling, and I'm making widgets, and I'm texting, and, you know, you know, you know, flying that powerful jet for Jesus. Yeah, I get it. But, but I got this other stuff I got going. And, and the truth is, I, I'm convinced Satan's greatest scheme today in our age is to get so busy with life that we don't have biz time enough for the main thing. I, I'm so busy with everything else that I'm missing the main thing. And I've said it before. I'll say it again, okay? The main thing is what? To keep the main thing the what? The main thing. And the main thing is to daily live strong for Jesus. And if I'm too, too, too busy, too running around doing this, that, or the other for the main thing, to walk with Christ, to be in his word, to get filled with his spirit, are you ready? Then something should give, and it shouldn't be that. Third, some of us have allowed our jet to get really dirty. Some of us have allowed the grime and the filth of sin to drain the power from
from our lives. And the truth is this. The filling and the power of the Spirit and sin that's not been dealt with and taken to the cross are not compatible. There's going to be no power in your life when, when there's consistently unconfessed grime and filth of sin. John 13.10, Jesus says, we've already been given a spiritual bath at salvation. The challenge in life, you ready? What's the challenge? To keep your feet clean. We live in a grimy, filthy, sinful, fallen world. And daily, i got to take time to get my feet clean, and so do you. What does that mean? It means when the grime and the filth of sin has hit my eyes or my mind, my attitudes, my mouth, I need to not just lay there and keep my feet all filthy and dirty. Because again, the filling and the power of Jesus and the presence of Jesus on the throne of our life and his spirit and sin, they don't go together. So I had to just get up from the ditch and the mud of sin, and what do we got to do? We got to do the U-turn and run where? To the cross and write the check of confession, and then I can be back ready to get filled, ready to be empowered, ready to live strong for Jesus. And here's the truth. Lots of us lay down there in the mud of sin for a long time. We lay down for hours and days and weeks, and sadly, even sometimes months. And we're just laying there and listen, and when your plane is filthy, it's not flyable. Got to stay clean. Here, here's what I believe with all my being. You ready? If those of you who aren't discipled and don't know how to fly the plane would take the time, make the commitment to get discipled and learn how to live the Christian, learn how to be filled daily with Christ, if those of us who are so busy with life, too busy for Jesus and his word and his spirit, would reprioritize our lives, listen, I can talk louder, if, if those of us here who walk around with filthy feet would get serious about doing the U-turn and running and getting our feet clean so that the Spirit can work through us. Are you ready? I believe the Holy Spirit could descend on the 7-800 of us and revival, revival would fall in northern Michigan. <laughs> um, lives all around us would be dramatically affected. Um, you know what? If just half of us would do it. Um, if just a quarter of us would say, yep, uh, that, that's going to be the priority. Are you ready for this? Um, if just 120 of us said, yep, count me in, and, and by God's grace, I'm going to allow the power to start flowing. Would people make fun of us? <laughs> would people laugh? W would people be cynical? Yep, they would. But just slide down to verse 41. I, I just like this. But when 120 of them allowed the Spirit to flow and they spoke with power and authority, lives were changed. Matter of fact, 3,000 lives were changed, born again, baptized. So, three questions and we're done. Do you need to get discipled so you can begin to make use of the power of the Spirit? 
Do you need to step off the treadmill of life and slow down somewhere where the Lord shows you so you can live daily strong for King Jesus? Do you need to get serious about sin and make keeping your feet clean a key priority of your life? If we'll do that, I'm telling you, church, look out. Look, God, we're not lifeless. We're not dull. We're not boring. We're not a matter of fact, are you ready? The church is the answer that the world needs. We are God's plan to change the world, and he's empowered us to do that. What's holding you back? How about 120 of us step up? How about just 120, we'll start. Will you step up? Let's pray as we close. Lord, uh, we pause for just a moment, and we just want to allow you to, uh, to take this powerful event, and now you speak to us personally. Show us clearly what uh, you have in mind for us individually. Lord, I'm, I'm asking for uh, you to raise up 120 people in your church here at Walloon who are ready to do whatever it takes to see the power of your spirit alive and active and fruitful in their lives. Make us hungry. Uh, make us passionate. Lord, uh, we desire to see northern Michigan turned upside down for you so Jesus can be lifted high. Because the truth is, Lord, we've got lots of friends and family members and neighbors and co-workers, they're desperately in need of the answer that we have, which is your son. Lord, I pray that those who need discipling would choose to get going. Lord, take away their excuses. May those who are too busy to daily walk and, and be connected to you reorganize their priorities. Lord, may those with dirty feet start daily getting serious about their sin. We pray all these things in the amazing name of your son Jesus. Amen. You are dismissed. <laughs>